Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, I can't believe it, but we've made it to Book to Earth, Chapter 20, The Crossroads of Destiny. Was it everything you wanted it to be? It was. I I feel like um, if we're thinking about this episode, I know that this was paired as kind of like a two-part episode, uh, even on Netflix, it's it, it's it's set up as two. I really think it's probably a th- three or four-part episode um, because what we have here is something, again, not to toot my own horn about being able to predict a children's show, but in season <laughs> one, I said, oh, I wonder if they're going to do like The Empire Strikes Back. These last three episodes, three or four episodes, are basically just Empire Strikes Back. I think it's the last 100%. three. Since, since Appa's Lost Days, like they have step by step by step said we are going to follow that template now it's not like a they're they're just picking up like the exact themes of that but doing it in their own way and and kind of like with uh the force awakens it's sort of a retelling of a new hope but they shift the characters of like well who is the one who represents this and it's not like there is like a luke and a han but it's like oh like this character is 60 percent luke and 20 percent han and 20 you know like like i feel like they're doing they're they're not one-to-one comparisons but they took they took the story structure and actually what's cool about that is i think a lot of pieces of sort of pop culture media since um since the empire strikes back which came out in 1981 i think um uh a lot of things since then have wanted to do their version of empire and almost nobody gets it right. And I feel like Avatar, all praise to you. You guys nailed it. Like they mm-hmm. got everything that's great about Empire is here. There's homages to it, but yet this is still its own thing. So I, yes. I'm really excited about this. And this series is pre-Kylo Ren, but there is definitely a Kylo Ren moment in this episode, I would say. Yeah, I honestly think Avatar maybe invented Kylo Ren. I, re- <laughs> I, I really so. do. I really do think Zuko is, uh, I mean, I, I can't know this, but I wonder like JJ Abrams and when, whoever else made the force awakens when that character was entered into the star Wars canon, were there people who were like, you know, we really love Prince Zuko. We want to have a character like that because they, they really did it. And in fact, if we were going to make, I will say this past week, we watched uh, the last airbender movie. My, my, my family did because they're oh no well because they're caught up with me and i and we love bad movies so i i said okay this is a movie we can talk through and make fun of um but if we were going to make if we we could go back in time because everybody's too old now but if we were going to go back in time and make avatar right um like adam driver would have made a great prince zuko oh absolutely yes for for all yep yes the and for all the Ren? reasons he's a great Kylo Ren, he would have made a phenomenal Prince Zuko. Absolutely. Yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah. I wish yeah. we could go back. Although <laughs> go I will say De- Dev Patel's the best, probably the best actor and the best performance in, in uh, The Last Airbender. But but yes. yeah, I, I I just, you're, you're right. There is so much Kylo Ren, uh, mm. so much of Kylo Ren that seems to be lifted from Zuko. So I kind of hope that that's the case. I hope that, that avatar informed some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, all right, let's jump into the summary. Cause this is a, this is a doozy of an episode. Um, it is. 
All right, so uh, we open on uh, an ostrich horse on the prairie drinking from a book brook. This is a very Avatar move. They love to open with like this small thing that seems like it's like this little snapshot of nature that seems unconnected to our story, and then over that we see Appa, the sort of the shadow of Appa fly over, and we see Sokka and Aang are riding, and they're riding both up on Appa's head. Sokka doesn't usually ride up front. But it's like he's riding shotgun on Appa uh, this time around. I um, love this. I love this first scene. I feel like it, it feels like the start of so many movies where it's like a cow is grazing and it's just a very like natural, beautiful scene. And then all of a sudden some strange like piece of technology passes through or like some UFO flies over the field and, yeah. and it gets real. And that's like what Appa feels like in this moment. Absolutely. And, and, and this is a great pick up from where we left off last time because if you remember in our last episode everyone is now heading to Ba Sing Se we talked at the end of last episode about how it's like that is this the uh, the, the vanishing point that everyone is focused on uh, and headed towards so we see Sokka and, and, and Aang and Appa headed that way so Sokka is asking about Katara he says like so what kind of trouble is Katara in and Aang says he doesn't know but his vision just showed that she needs help to which Sokka says, it would be nice if your avatar powers could be a little more specific from time to time. <laughs> um, I, I love I love funny Appa, or funny uh, Sokka. I'm, I'm glad he's back. Uh, and and a, as they're having this conversation, they hear this loud rumble, and they see something moving rapidly across the ground, and they see sort of dust raising up. And when I first heard this, I was thinking to myself, which villain is this? Because like, mm. like, like the, the sort of uh, rumble of thunder is the kind of thing where it's like, oh no, this thing is happening. But then we realize that it's not, uh, it's not a villain, but it's a friend because we cut to to Toph, and if we remember, Toph had just escaped from the uh, the metal ca- uh, the metal like tomb she was in, um, being carted or yeah, coffin kind of thing she was being carted away in. So she learned to metal bend, and now we see her speeding across the landscape, kind of on like these raised mounds of earth that are under each of her feet. And in my head, her motion looks like a speed skater, like she's sk- sk- flying across. It reminds me of in uh, the Blue Spirit when we the first time we see how fast Aang can run, you know, and it's sort of like the Flash. It's like yes. this is this is like Toph's version of that. Absolutely, yeah. She's like Apollo Anton Ono. Is that still? Does he still skate? <laughs> no, no. But that's actually the reference I would have made, and that's a really great like 2007 reference which is about <laughs> when this came out so no it's perfect like that that's actually the way the way to think about it um so f- from there we cut to azula and she's addressing uh the dai li in like this dark hall which i presume is maybe under lake logai like in that um kind of secret area that the dai li have and we see May and Tylee are, are there, and they're still dressed in Kyoshi garb, but now Azula's just wearing, like, some kind of regular Earth Nation clothes. So she's not in Fire Nation garb, but um, but she, she's no longer pretending to be a Kyoshi warrior. Although, like I said, uh, May and Tylee are still... Maybe that's just, like, a status thing for Azula, that she's forcing them to still wear that stuff. Um, so this is this is where Azula makes the first of... What are many speeches in this uh, in this episode? So she's talking to the Dai Li and she says, the Earth King and the Council of Five do not trust the Dai Li. They imprisoned your leader Long Fang. Soon they will turn on all of you and eliminate you. 
Seizing power today is a matter of life and death. This coup must be swift and decisive. The Earth King and each of the five generals must be taken simultaneously. Long Fang has placed you under my command while we overthrow the government. If I sense disloyalty, any hesitation, any weakness at all, I will snuff it out. To have a coup in a children's show is a bold move, but they play it off so well. Yeah, and 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 I actually love seeing Azula. Um, and, we'll, and we'll talk. This episode is a lot about Azula's play for power and kind of her rise to power. Now we know that from flashbacks that she seems to be somebody who's always um, on the edges of these types of things. I mean, it, it appears that there was some sort of potential coup in the fire nation that led to Ozai uh, usurping mm-hmm. his brother and becoming fire Lord. And we know that Azula seems to at least have been a witness to that, if not to have played some role in it. She definitely was kind of lady Macbething her father <laughs> into like or you know into making this play and now we see her what i love about this is azula is now no longer trying to be like the person trying to get someone else in power but she's trying to grasp it herself uh and that's that's a big theme in this episode so as she says this frightening thing about snuffing out hesitation and weakness she pauses in front of and stares at one member of the daily who has like a scar on his face kind of like stitches um, and he has a very concerned look on her face or on, on his face. Um, and I just made note of that face. Cause I'm like, Oh, I bet we're going to see this guy again. They, they made it a point of like giving him this scar so that we could recognize him later. Cause all the Dai kind of look the same a little mm-hmm. bit. Cause they're all in the same uniforms. You don't really see much of them, uh, but they made him look very distinct in that way. Um, so then she dismisses the Dai Li and we see Tylee and May, uh, serve tea and compliment Azula. And Tylee says that she was pretty and poetic and scary in a good way, is, is her description. <laughs> and then Accurate. May says, that's right, that's right. And then May says, I thought you were going to make that one guy pee his pants. Uh, and <laughs> um, it just, this show has like just a, just like a dusting of potty humor throughout it. You know, <laughs> like, you, like you talked about sort of the like, you know, seventh grade boy humor. And I feel like, yep. like May is here to provide just a little bit of that. It's just enough. Yep. I th- yes. I think like a dust, a sprinkle of potty humor is enough. That's yep. right. I, I think in season, in season three, they're going to have one episode. That's all potty humor. Just to like, <laughs> just as a formal experiment to see how much can we put in an episode and still make it work. I don't really Imagine. think that's the case. Uh, so Azula <laughs> comments that there's still loose ends to her plan. She says the avatar my brother and my uncle. So we know now she has this coup she's preparing. She has the daily at her command. And now she's, she realizes there's a, a few other pieces on the board. If we're thinking about Azula as a chess player, right? She has her, she sees her end game. Um, but then there's a few, a few pieces on the board she needs to deal with. Uh, from here, we fade to the people she was just talking about, Iroh and Zuko, and they're approaching the palace to serve tea to the earth king. Remember last episode, they were invited to the palace to serve tea. And Iroh says, uh, as they're walking in, he says, many times I imagined myself here at the threshold of the palace, but I always thought I would be here as a conqueror. Instead, we are the earth king's personal guests here to serve him tea. Destiny is a funny thing. 
And Zuko says, it sure is, uncle. I think this is the first time the word destiny is used in a in a episode titled The Crossroads of Destiny. And it's super interesting to think about who, what are the crossroads of destiny in this episode? Because I think almost every character has one, right? Like, like here we have Iroh who thought that he would be in this place and he imagined it his whole life as a conqueror, but instead it's as like a humble refugee who worked his way um, to earn this spot in front of the king. And then you have the destiny of Zuko that's much more out front and in focus for both the, for really like the last half of the season. Um, you know, what side is he going to choose? Is it the blue dragon or the red dragon, right? Like Azula or Iroh. And then you have um, Aang who's like facing these destiny of, do I choose even like a more human path and like choose to love and have happiness or do I choose power and control especially um, as my role as Avatar. And it's like all these different, I mean, like we could go in more depth. I'm sure Momo has a crossroads of destiny in this episode that we just aren't aware of. <laughs> Maybe that's not as obvious. But um, I think the first time I watched it, I, I was curious if that just had to do with Aang, but I think it's much more than that. Yeah, definitely the title sort of makes you ask the question of who is at these crossroads. And as you point out, uh, sort of everybody is, and, and it, even in a, a wider sense, the world is at a crossroads in destiny, right? The, we're going to see the Dai Li itself have to make a choice in this episode. And, and, and Azula points out they're sort of weighing their options, right? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that scene in a little bit. And even the fate of the world is at a crossroads, right? The fate of the, of the, uh, of the Earth Kingdom is at a crossroads. You know, there's there's a lot of sort of fate and destiny swirling around this episode. Um, so yeah, I, it's funny that you say that because I also, I don't think you can see my notes here, but I also put a box around the word destiny because I was like, I'm going to pay attention to how often they say destiny here uh, because yeah, in the title, it, it's, it's definitely pointing to saying this is going to be a, this is an episode about decisions. Yes. And you could so easily see how if one thing shifted or changed, how the whole story would be fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll like, we'll get there towards the end of the episode, but definitely in the last like five minutes, there's a lot happening. And, and if, and uh, like the weight of the world is on it. <laughs> Absolutely. So from here, we cut to Aang and Sokka and now Toph also flying on Appa over the city walls. I want to make a note of something that I saw. I don't know if you noticed this, but, Toph is sitting with Sokka and like hugging his arm. Um, mm -hmm. Now we talked about in the serpent's pass, this sort of weird moment of affection. I shouldn't say weird. This moment of affection between Toph and, um, and Sokka. And one of the things that uh, Jasmine Griffin pointed out in, in an email was she said, pay attention to how often Toph and Sokka get paired together. Like when they're hanging posters and they split up. Toph and Sokka go together and and so it's like it's it like this is it's interesting because these are characters who have um are highly opinionated characters right who don't always necessarily see eye to eye um no pun intended there with um with with Toph but it is it is interesting that there there seems to be this sort of uh connection between them it's, it reminds, honestly, this is a weird connection, but it reminds me of Scooby-Doo when they all break off and do their own things and you have Shaggy and Scooby together. And it's like, 
Toph and Sokka are also, yes, they have like their opinions that are very strong, but they're also the funny ones. Mm-hmm. And so when you pair the funny ones together, it like adds this whole new dynamic. Um, I'm always happy to see a good Toph Sokka moment. That's right. Um, so Toph is talking about the guru and asks Aang, like, well, have you mastered the avatar state? And we remember that Aang in last episode left before he had had finished his training, before he had opened the last chakra. Uh, and Aang pauses and he kind of flashes back and he hears the guru's, guru's words as he left. If you leave now, you won't be able to go into the avatar state at all. And Sokka sees that Aang seems troubled and asks if he's okay. And Aang pauses and says, yeah, I'm great. It went great with the guru. I completely mastered the avatar state. And he gives this kind of unconvincing, nervous little laugh, mm-hmm. um, which... I wonder if Sokka and Toph pick up on that or not, but nobody says anything, you know, after that. It's like, if he's lying or not, we're screwed. There's no point in trying to to get to the bottom of it. (laughs) So from here, we fade to a building within the palace and we see Iroh preparing a tea service for the king. We see four cups on a low table in this sort of big ornate room that has a throne in it. I don't think it's the, it do, it's not the throne room because it's a much smaller room, um, but the king is not there yet. <coughs> and can I, can I ask a question, Sam? Yeah. Do you think that the fourth cup is for Bosco? Absolutely. I do. <laughs> okay. Good. I, abs- I absolutely do. Cause he's like the only it. person. He's the only person who's with the earth king seemingly at all times. Yeah. Like the only the only being that's with the because like Long Fang is in prison. It would have been Long Fang. It would have been would have been the Earth King's plus one probably because Long Fang would have saw to it that he was the plus one. But I think so. I think Bosco is the plus one here. I love that. <laughs> uh, so Zuko wonders what's taking so long, and we see the king's empty throne. And Iroh says maybe the Earth King overslept. And at this point, in walk the Dai Li. And they surround Iroh and Zuko. And you can see that, that Zuko is sensing something is up. Something is wrong. And something is wrong because in walks Azula. And uh, Zuko is shocked to see her. So Azula says, have you met the Dai Li? They're earthbenders, but they have a killer instinct that's so firebender. I just love it. <clears throat> and at this point, Iroh picks up a cup of tea and says, did I ever tell you how I got the nickname the dragon of the West. Now, how excited were you when he asked that question? Oh, like a hundred out of 10. So excited. Cause yeah. I, I, I mean, you just don't, I mean, and he picks up the cup of tea and it's like, Oh, now everything makes sense. Like he loves tea because he loves tea, of course. But like to have the added layer of this contributes to his nickname Dragon of the West makes it just it's such good writing. Yeah, yeah. And I was just excited because I'm like, either either I'm gonna get a story. He's gonna like kind of monologue here to try to buy time. And I'm like, I'm into this story, or we're gonna get a demonstration. We're gonna get one of the two. And it's interesting because when we ask this question, Azula says, I'm not interested in a lengthy anecdote. So it's like she knows potentially he's going to be monologuing. And Iroh says, well, actually, it's more of a demonstration. And he takes a sip of tea and then he proceeds to breathe fire around the whole room like a dragon. Uh, And this creates an opportunity for them to escape. 
And yeah, he and Zuko, when he hears Iroh saying this, they like exchange a really brief look. Like Zuko's probably heard the lengthy anecdote before. And he's like, yes, I'm here for the demonstration. Uh, I will say I would love to hear the anecdote at some point. I want to hear like where where this came from. Like what's the first time he did this, where this moniker was bestowed upon him. I'm here for that, Iroh. <clears throat> Uh, so we see Zuko and Iroh rush out of the room uh, to start to make their escape. And the Daily pursue them and they sort of shoot their, we're calling them rock hands. Is that what we're going with? I, yeah. This yep. is their move. Uh, so then we see, we from there we cut to the building, outside the building. And we see that Iroh uses lightning, which was exciting to me. Because uh, mm. we know that he can do this, but we don't see him do it very often. He uses lightning to blow a hole in the side of the wall. And then he jumps out, which seems like it's like a two-story jump. And he lands on kind of a rough stone statue of an animal. I thought it was probably a badger, a mole badger, because that's mm. pretty core to the um, to the, the earthbenders. Mm-hmm. And then we cut up to Zuko, who's standing, you know, preparing to jump. And he pauses, and Iroh calls out to him to jump. So here we are at a first moment of decision for Zuko, right? There's going to be a series of these crossroads perhaps to think about and Zuko says no I'm tired of running it's time I faced Azula and we see kind of Iroh palm his head in frustration I think Iroh here I think he realizes how fragile Zuko is still like Zuko's change state is great but it is still in its infancy and like it needs to be nurtured by people who care for his well-being Yes, and at the same time, if you're if I'm thinking about Zuko, like this is also it's tough because like like in some ways this is a sign of maturity to be like, I'm tired of running, I need to face the problems. But the but what's interesting is I think Iroh's advice is actually the mature decision is to not run headlong foolheartily at Azula and the Daily. <laughs> <laughs> by yourself yeah. you know um so so yeah it, it's tough because like it, it, there's a level at which i'm proud of zuko for not running for you know for standing his ground but probably not the move he should make at this point so then we cut back into the hall where zuko faces azula down and the daily is kind of aligned behind her um this is one of my favorite scenes in this episode azula uh i i love that she, it's like she almost realizes that she's in no she realizes that zuko is in a tv show Mm. she realizes that he at this point feels like like in zuko alone felt like a western she's like oh you're still living in like this western right because the first thing she says to him is you're so dramatic what are you going to do challenge me to an agni kai it's like she's like i get the script here like Here's how the story's supposed to go. You stand your ground. You make this dramatic stance. You challenge me to a duel and you defeat me. She's, she, you know, she's like, I get it. I get what you're trying to do. Like I can, it's like, I can see the script too here of your little story that you're living out this kind of fantasy that you're living out. Um, and then Zuko says dramatically, yes, I challenge you. <laughs> and, but and here's the best part though, is Azula just says, no, thanks. Because, This is what real power is. Real power is realizing like, I actually don't need to bow to these conventions that say, 
oh, my honor is at stake if you challenge me to an agony. She's like, I've already told you that's what you're going to do. And guess what? Not interested. I don't have yeah. anything to prove to you. Um, yes. That and, 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 the, and it, Go ahead. Oh, and just those conventions she knows are what's weighing Zuko down anyway, right? Like Zuko's always trying to pursue this honor that is based on tradition and on... Um, on convention and she's like she has nothing for that she knows that she's beyond that and, and i and i think it points to a theme throughout this episode and we're going to see azula do this a few times in this episode where she understand she has an understanding of power that is different than the people around her and she uses that to her advantage she's going to do this with long feng too you know and i mean this is somebody who's currently grasping for the throne of a kingdom she's not even from right mm. she, she's she's leading a coup against the earth king to take the earth throne and she's not an earth person right but but she understands she has this deep understanding of of power so like it's a short little scene but i think this is so powerful right so zuko tries to firebend at her and what's interesting is she doesn't do anything to defend herself instead the Dai Li step in and they raise the floor to kind of create an earth wall to block it. And then they start fire stone handcuffs at his feet and his hands immobilizing him. And Azula just walks away while they arrest him. Like again, real power is not having to even fight all your own fights. It's to get people mm-hmm. to fight your fights for you. You know, like, like she has a ray. She has arrayed the powers of the world to bend to her will at this point. Um, hmm. She's pretty amazing as a character, really. That's super interesting, too, because this episode, also a theme that runs through it is power and control. And between, um, with her, I mean, obviously, like, these displays of power that are effortless, where she can easily manipulate people and get them on her side. Um, And, like, just a very pragmatic ruler. And then you have Aang, who's like wrestling with power control and then a more like human um, approach to ruling or leading or um, being like a savior. And it's, I don't know. I think that's a really interesting parallel between the two of them because I feel like they are the polar opposites in this series. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I think this, when we started this season, uh, there was a lot of talk about like how Azula is kind of the worst. And it's like, <laughs> she's kind of the best though. Like, like I have grown to really love this character. Again, I find like, I don't, li- I don't like her agenda, but like, that's a well done character. That is oh, a yeah. really, really well done character. There's sometimes where I'm like almost proud of her for how <laughs> far ahead she can be of everyone around her especially yeah. as a female character to have that much she just is unconventional in in every way for a female character i think in especially a in a 14 year old female character yes and in a kid's show yeah exactly so uh from from this scene we cut to appa flying up to the palace we see ang toff and Sokka standing before the earth king and the king assures them that Katara is fine. Ang says that his vision was clear that she was in trouble. And the king says, well, she met with the council of generals to plan the invasion. And since then, she's been off with your friends, the Kiyoshi warriors. And Sokka says, see Aang, she's with Suki. They're probably back at the apartment talking about makeup or something. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> A little, little bit of old Sokka there. 
the king says, believe me, if there was any danger at all, Bosco's animal instincts would sense it. And we see a sleeping Bosco kind of raise his head up and softly growl at the mention of his name. This from my, okay, I'm in my 20s. A lot of my friends are getting their first pets, right? Like I'm also a millennial. So it's like push off the kids for a while get some pets first. And this reminds me of somebody who's like, I'm going to get a big dog so they can protect me. And they get like a golden retriever and it just loves everyone. And that's Bosco. That is Bosco and the king. Yeah. So here's a question I have. I know I'm supposed to have my questions at the end, but (laughs) does Bosco have a story arc in season three? Like, do we see Bosco rise up from being this like kind of cuddly soft enormous bear that's not ter- not in the least bit terrifying to like does bosco have a moment where he defeats somebody yes like bosco gets vengeful yeah or like or he defends the king like actually defends the king at some point or oh. can we get that i want it i really yeah. really want that <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that we will but i wouldn't put it past them to be like yeah, bosco's gonna get his hero moment too you know how like at the end of, like at the end of Harry Potter at the Battle of Hogwarts, like everybody gets their little hero moment. Yes. Like, can can does Bosco get one at some point? I don't know who he would conquer, but like yeah. that would be that would be pretty sweet. Yes. Who is the who is the Gryffindor nerd who like got hot by the end of the series and then Neville? he Yes. <laughs> He's the Neville of the Avatar world. <laughs> I'll buy that. I'll buy that. I'm so glad you knew who that was. All right, continue. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, they're in the palace talking about Katara. Then we cut to where Katara really is, and she's in a cave, underground cave, with all kinds of, like, green crystals sprouting out from the ground. Uh, it reminds me of the Geminite that... Um, in in the in uh, the King of Amashu episode, that's like encasing Katara and Sokka. Um, so there's all these like crystals kind of growing up out of the ground, and she hears a rumble, and an opening is earth bent up in the ceiling above, and we see the Daily throw Zuko down into the same prison cave that Katara's in, and they just sort of look at each other with distrust and anger, or Katara, I guess, has distrust and anger for for Zuko. Mm. So what I'm excited about is, have we seen, we have seen this pairing before. If we go back to the waterbending scroll, right? Um, yes. Zuko has her captured and he's kind of pleading with her and says, I have this thing that you want. So I'm excited to see them. Uh, if, you know, we talked about different pairings and how we get to see them interact. We're going to get a good chunk of Katara and Zuko here. And uh, this is kind of one of those moments that Katara Zuko shippers love. And uh, it's it's kind of, it does remind me of the water scroll because there was this moment where you and I in our notes were both like, does this feel like <laughs> there's some sexual tension or something? You know, like the right. way that he approached her was just like a very intimate approach. And then you have this scene. So like this is where a lot of that Katara Zuko like pairing is is born, I think. Right. No. And, and it, it is, uh, again, not to, not to keep going back to star Wars, but it, it does sort of remind me of how one of the things in the most recent trilogy is you have these like weird, you have a different weird triangle where you have like, clearly there are people who are like Ray and, um, and Kylo, like that's people shipping that. But then you also have, um, I am blanking on John Boyega's character's name. Is it Finn? Finn, yeah. You also have like Finn and Ray, and it's mm-hmm. like 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 you have and and so you have like the kind of the like 
dark brooding bad boy and then you have the like character who seems like only like exuberant and positive you know in mm-hmm. a kind of way and you have you have her kind of in between um so so this is this is where we're getting like the the ray kylo energy from this mm-hmm. um and we'll cut back to that but at this point they cut to Appa f- um uh landing outside of the ang gang's upper ring home um and we see Toph, ang and Sokka enter the house to find that it's empty except for momo who's very excited to see them. Uh, and Aang realizes that this means that Katara's in trouble. I thought, <clears throat> I thought this last episode, I was very convinced that Momo was going to rush to the aid of Katara, but nah, he's just hanging out in the upper room <laughs> in their home. He did not do anything really um, mm, courageous. Yeah, right. we're waiting. We're waiting on Momo hero moments. They're cut co- like yeah. that. Those are definitely coming. Uh, so suddenly, Toph uh, out of nowhere says, "Someone's at the door," and it's sort of this weird moment where, like, you don't hear the door; you just hear because because Toph can feel it. And so after she says that, we hear a knock. Then she walks to the door, and before opening it, announces, "Actually, I know who it is. It's an old friend of mine." Uh, and she opens the door, and who walks in but Iroh? And he says, I need your help. And we see Aang and Sokka give like a startled, terrified take, and this is a commercial break. I love this moment. I love moments when a door opens, and two char- and, and, and characters who you never see uh, together are all of a sudden like, characters you're familiar with are all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, we're they're together now. These are separate storylines seemingly that are now connected. It reminds me, this is a very weird pull, <laughs> but um, now I am, I am not a Tom Clancy fan, but in high, <laughs> in, in the high school that I went to, there were very few books that we, that my school owned like multiple copies of. So like you could read it as a class for some reason, one of them was the hunt for red October. <laughs> so I read <laughs> the hunt for, <laughs> right. I read the hunt for red October in high school and Again, not a big fan, but there is this great moment in the Hunt for Red October, which I thought of when I saw this scene, where if you're familiar with the story, there's kind of parallel plots going on. There's the plot in the Russian sub, and then there's the plot with Jack Ryan, who's trying to reach the Russian sub. And these, so these are separate things. And there's, and like the chapters cut back and forth between one story than the other, right? And there's this, there, there's a scene towards the end of the book where, Jack Ryan is opening up the door to the red to the sub, the red October. And then the next chapter cuts, it cuts like abruptly to the next chapter and the door opens. And now you're in the Russian sub and Jack Ryan walks in and you're like, Whoa, like they brought it all together. And I got to say when they, when Toph opens the door and Iroh's there, I was like, I feel like Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery connecting in hunt for red October. (laughs) Right? It, it, it's like, okay, we already have Katara and Zuko. Now we have Iroh and the rest of the gang. Like, this episode is amazing. This yep, is what we wanted. It's all happening right now. <laughs> so we come back from commercial and we're still here. And a shocked Aang asks Toph, you guys know each other? Like, how does she know Iroh? And Toph says, I met him in the woods once and knocked him down. Then he gave me tea and very good advice. Uh, and, and that, that's an important thing that she says there. Cause that idea of, of Iroh giving advice is going to come back. So Iroh says, princess Azula is here in Ba Sing Se. And then Aang realizes that she must have Katara. Iroh says she's captured my nephew as well. 
So then Aang pronounces, then we'll work together to fight Azula and save Katara and Zuko. <laughs> to which Sokka has a major reaction. He protests and he says, like, wait, why are we helping Zuko? Why are we rescuing Zuko? And Iroh says, I know how you must feel about my nephew, but believe me when I tell you there is good inside of him. Um, which made me think of uh, there is a scene in Return of the Jedi where Luke is talking to the uh, force ghost version of um, <laughs> uh, of uh, Obi-Wan and Yoda. Mm -hmm. I think they're both there. And Luke makes this same statement about Vader. Like this is where Obi-Wan reveals that like, you know, I trained Anakin and I, you know, he, like, and I was wrong, right? I was wrong to do that because he went to the dark side and Luke protests. I know there's still good in him. So Iroh is Iroh is, is is Luke here making this this plea about Zuko saying that there there is still good inside of him. And Sokka says, mm -hmm. good inside him isn't enough. Why don't you come back when it's outside of him too? But then Aang steps in and says, Katara's in trouble. All of Ba Sing Se is in trouble. Working together is our best chance. Mm. Which another, just got me excited. And, yeah, and it's another big decision that they have to make. Like, can they trust the dragon of the West? <laughs> and, like, this is a moment that, like, all of human history kind of is hinging on. Like, whether they can trust him or not. Yeah, no, it, it feels like <clears throat> this episode has within it, like, these mini games of Mafia. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Katara and Zuko are playing it in the in the, the cave and uh, Toph, Sokka, Aang, and Iroh are playing it here. It's like, well, do I trust you? Because if I do, then we can work together. But if I don't, then I'm leading to my own demise. Like, like it's mm -hmm. they're having to do that those same calculations. Um, mm -hmm. So Iroh announces, "I brought someone along who might be able to help us." And they walk out to the porch, and they see that Iroh has captured and bound a Dai Li member. And it's the guy with the scar mark on his face that Azula was, was in front of before. So we see Toph sort of further pins him in with Earth. Um, and when they ungag him, he reveals that Azula and Long Fang are plotting a coup. They're going to overthrow the Earth King. And we see Sokka forcefully ask about Katara. And the Dai Li guy says that she's in the crystal catacombs of old Ba Sing Se, deep beneath the palace. And they all run off and leave the prisoner bound on the porch. Yeah, they're just like, okay, bye. <laughs> I gotta say, this actually reminded me of a scene for another scene from a movie, which is a, 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 weird connections. Have you ever seen the movie Reservoir Dogs? Um, so it's like the first it? Quentin Tarantino movie. So yes. there's a point where it's about all these these jewel thieves right and they all are back at the they, they just did this big heist that was a failed heist and they all get back to the the warehouse and they're, they're coming at different times and there's a point where um the michael madsen character mr uh mr blonde comes in and he says i have a gift for you and he drags in this police officer he's taken as a hostage for them to question. And when Iroh says, I brought someone along and they go out and you see a guy bound on the porch. I was like, Oh, he's like Mr. Blonde. Now Mr. Blonde is a psychopath, but like Iroh's it's like, it was like this weird little reservoir dogs moment that I, I kind of loved. Yeah. It I love Iroh wanted... taking a hostage. I like that idea. Me too. I'd like, he probably offered him tea and did all these nice things for him. But I do, I really wish that they had like five extra minutes of this episode and just fleshed out a little bit of how, how Iroh got him there. Don't you know wish? what? 
Yeah, here's why they didn't show it. Because I don't think this was the nice version of Iroh. I think this was Iroh doing what had to be done. Because I think he's got that in him as well. So I think he like, you know, his Dragon of the West, Jason Bourne style programming clicks on and he's just like, okay, we're going to do this. Now, what I want to know is how did he get the hostage to to the porch? Like, Because like, wouldn't people see this old guy dragging a bound up Dai Li member like I, I just I'm so curious yeah I mean maybe his celebrity status from the Jasmine Dragon is so high that people wouldn't you know <laughs> they'll let it slide yeah <laughs> this looks fine this is fine it's just Iroh or well what's his Mushi <laughs> yeah well I guess I guess though like the people I don't know how much how how much dispersed sort of all the conspiracy stuff stuff is maybe people don't know about that and people have been taught to not question the things that they see. So maybe mm-hmm. people are like, nope, don't want to know, don't want to say, don't want to like I'm just going to I'm happy to be where I am. So maybe yeah. that's maybe that's what it is. All right, yeah, so we absolutely. cut we cut back to the prison and we see a Dai Li member is briefing Long Feng from outside of his cell. So he says the movements of all the generals and the Earth King have been plotted out step by step. And we see Long Feng is meditating in his cell. And he asks if Azula is cooperating with his plan. And the Dali says, oh, yes, more than cooperating. She's really taken charge. She's terrifying and inspirational at the same time. It's hard to explain. And we see Long Fang look concerned. I know. I, <laughs> uh, Mike and I were watching this episode, and I turned and was like, this is kind of an overshare. Like, <laughs> This guy went a little too far in his description of her. But it shows how much he is taken by her. Well, and it also shows how what Azul is going to tell us later is correct, that that the Dai Li are having an internal struggle about, like, wait, who is our leader? Is our leader Long Fang, the person who's always been our leader, who's imprisoned? Or is it this dynamic, charismatic person who seems to be able to wield power with such a plum and sprezzatura that it's like, Maybe that actually is, I mean, you understand the charisma of a leader like that. Maybe that's a word that we haven't said with Azula yet is like, she's cool. And she is, yeah. and, and she is, she has charisma where you look at somebody like, um, uh, like Zuko. I love Zuko as a person, but he, he lacks the charisma of his sister. Like it would be hard to imagine him just his like, his bearing and his personality, like wielding, I could see him being a, a good king, but mm-hmm. I don't know that I could see him leading the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. Right? It seems like that that requires uh, everything we've seen about it. That it requires a kind of iron fist and a kind of uh, ability, maybe even Machiavellian ability, to like align everyone around you in a particular kind of way. And it's like I don't know that Zuko has that but Azula has it in spades. And it's, I mean, she talks later about this divine, right? Something you're born with. And um, it's super dark when we get there. I wrote in my notes how dark it was, what she's saying. But I mean, she's not wrong in that she's born with this like impressive charisma, like you said. And it's like, that is very, that is very much a difference between her and her brother. 
I love how much we're both excited to get to that scene. <laughs> it's so uh, insane. <laughs> all right. So we go back to the, the crystal catacombs with Katara and Zuko and Katara is questioning Zuko. She thinks that Azula is, has put, sort of put him in here as a trap for Aang, that Aang will come to try to rescue her and then Zuko will be there to attack. And Zuko's just silent and Katara then keeps talking. So it's sort of like he, she keeps talking to him and he's like this silent, uh, this silent being who's just sort of absorbing the blows from her. So she says, uh, you're a terrible person, you know that? Always following us, always hunting the Avatar trying to capture the world's last hope for peace. But what do you care? You're the Fire Lord's son. Spreading war and violence and hatred is in your blood. And Zuko says, you don't know what you're talking about. And Katara snaps at him and says, I don't? How dare you? You have no idea what this war has put me through. Me personally. The Fire Nation took my mother away from me. And Zuko says, I'm sorry, that's something we have in common. And then we see Katara's face kind of show a little bit of shock at hearing this. Mm. This is the first time we hear Zuko mention his mom outside of just visions of his mom or like memories of his mom. Right. I don't know that he's ever really talked about it. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's, it seems like the first time we've heard anyone from the fire nation talk about the effects of the war on them. They talk about the war a lot as this war is this thing that they are winning, that they're doing, that they're this campaign that they're on. But this is the first, I mean, well, actually it's not the first time. It's the second time because the, the first time is what leads to Zuko's banishment is he, as he points out, you can't just throw these people out there to die. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's talking, he's talking about the, the collateral damage of the, of waging this war in this way. And now he's pointing to say, well, this war has taken something else from me, too. It's really interesting thinking about, especially when you, a lot of people will talk about this series in terms of um, some of the East Asian dynamics, especially in 20th century um, history. But I think even beyond that, just looking at history and memory from people who fought war or who were their nation was the one who maybe started a war and um, how I think there's a difference. It's almost like a war happened. It happened or it happened to us. And I think that there's this it's interesting way of um, memorializing what your nation has done to another nation and how sometimes that has done terrible things to yourself. I think about like even uh, another um, kid's show or a kid's movie. Um, and, and it's it's kids, but it's it's animated. It's in anime by Miyazaki. Um, and it's about World War II. And uh, it's about somebody who made the, the Zero Plane, uh, a Japanese engineer. And it's about very much how the war impacted him personally. And it got a lot of mixed reviews, some criticism from some more nationalist um people, uh, especially from Japan, saying that this was a little too critical of uh, of our nation and our history and our past. And I don't know, a lot of this I feel like could be talked about with the Fire Nation being the one that has power and authority and really had started the conflict and um, continues to wage it on. How How is that impacting everyday people 
I'm not even just royalty like Zuko and Azula, but but even others within their nation. Well, and I don't want to be too wanchy tongue here, but we also only know that the Fire Nation started this war from people who are not in the Fire Nation. Like we don't yeah. actually know. Like like I mean, we hear that Katara voiceover so many times. The then the Fire Nation attacked. It's mm-hmm. like, but history's longer than that. Is there was there was there something which spurred that attack on? Because we do know sure. that there was the time of Chin the Great, which sure seemed like this empire that was spread. It's like, and I don't know if that spread beyond the Earth Kingdom or if or if Chin is somebody who just sort of like like Charlemagne maybe like brings together all of these disparate Earth nation or Earth nation Earth Kingdom tribes into this big kingdom, or was he imperial in other kinds of ways? But for people right. like Kiyoshi, right? That was that was imperialism within the Earth Nation. And we also know that the Avatar during the 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 rise of the Fire Nation was a fire avatar. Like Roku is trying to sustain this world peace during this time too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. much nuance in this show, Sam. Well, and it's the kind of thing where I don't know if we're gonna get that history, but I think it's it's worth thinking about because I, I think you, you raise a really interesting point, which is nobody almost nobody talks about war as something that they started. Mm. It's no, cause nobody wants to go to war or, or no one, you wouldn't express the thought of wanting to go to war. You're doing it out of a kind of necessity to say like, mm. well, our hand was forced. Even the Germans in world war two would say, well, our hand was forced by these restrictions coming out of the treaty of Versailles. And like, yeah. so like, we didn't want to do this. You guys made us do this. You know, and it's like, so, so like, I'd be, I'd be actually be curious to take a class on this war taught at Boston State University, although they don't talk about the war there, but also I'd love to take a class on it taught whatever the Fire Nation Capitals University is. I would love to see their perspective on like, what, what are the origins of this war? Yes. And to, and to take those side by side and just see how, yeah, how they're talked about for sure. Yeah. Uh, so then we're back outside the palace and we see Appa, Sokka, Toph, and Aang, and Iroh, uh, and they're looking for the crystal catacombs. And we see Toph is like, um, has her hand to the ground, sort of feeling what's underneath her. Um, and she senses this ancient city below the ground uh, and starts to earthbend. And she says, like, it's really deep down there. Now, what's interesting is. At first, I thought, like, well, that's weird that there's, like, this ancient city beneath this. But then I think about, and I'm sure this is true in lots of places, but I'll just mention a place where I've been. Uh, well, actually, both of us have been, but I didn't know if, I don't know if you went here. When you were in Paris, did you ever go to the, the thing underneath Notre Dame? No, like, I didn't. So, so, so uh, if you can picture Notre Dame Cathedral, there's, like, this big square in front of it, right? A kind of open square where people do whatever. There are, there, I, f- I forget if they call it the crypts or the catacomb or something else. The crypt, the crypt would be inside. It's the catacombs. Yeah. Yeah. You go down there and there's like the part of like the ancient city of Paris that all of this stuff is built on top of. And like, so, so this made me think of that as like, Oh, this world is like, we were just saying this world is very old and there's an older world underneath this world that we see, which itself is probably Boston say is probably really, really old. But there's another history beneath this, like literally mm. beneath it. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, so they, they decide they need to dig for this. And Sokka suggests that they split up. He says, Aang and Iroh go dig down to find Katara and Zuko, or as Sokka refers to him, the angry jerk. Um, <laughs> and then he says, he and Toph and Momo will go to warn the Earth King about Azula's coup. So again, we have Toph and Sokka going together, and we have Iroh and, and Aang. And I love the the Toph Sokka pairing, but really this is about giving us Aang and Iroh together, which mm. is like I got so excited when I'm like, really, we're going to get these two hanging out. This is the first time I think that uh, that Iroh's really talked to Aang, right? Yeah, yeah. They've had a and conversation. I, yes, it's such a great scene, and it feels like Aang is just so willing and open to be trusting of Iroh, and I didn't know that I would expect that. But Iroh has kept, like, he keeps crossing over Aang's path in these really important moments. Like, in both series, or both season finales, he's been there, and he's actually, like, helped them get through. And, um, yeah, it was great. Just a great scene. So, let's take a look at that scene. We cut to sort of deep in the tunnel, and Aang is earthbending while Iroh is providing firelight. So, he's, like, holding up his hand with fire, uh, with fire in it to provide light. Uh, and Ang says, so Toph thinks you give pretty good advice and great tea. And Iroh says, the key to, to both is proper aging. And he asks Ang, what's on his mind? So Ang says, well, I met this guru who was supposed to help me master the avatar state and control this great power. But to do it, I ha- have to let go of someone I love. I just couldn't. And I, I, I was floored when I heard Iroh's response and I loved it. Iroh said, Perfection and power are overrated. I think you are very wise to choose happiness and love. And I think this is, in, in, we, we haven't pointed out mission statements in a while, but we got a new interesting one here. And I want to think about how much of season three is going to be about this perfection and power are overrated. That maybe the goal is not to accumulate and wield power which is what the fire nation is trying to do but it's also what ang is trying to do as avatar is to harness to become a master of all the elements to harness the power of the avatar state to do it for good but also like that like that's his job but and and he's saying like those things are overrated and perfection's overrated the fear of making a mistake the fear of what if i can't be perfect and save everyone and there's this kind of grace in what Iroh is saying, you know, grace in the sense of like uh, lifting away the anxiety of what if it's not enough? What if I'm not powerful enough? What if I'm not perfect enough? Because mm-hmm. I think you're very wise to choose happiness and love. Which, I mean, also speaks to who, who he is too, who Iroh is. And I mean, he talks about like proper aging and it's a funny joke, but at the same time, it's like, he was somebody who sought perfection and power. He had the throne that he almost had in his grasp um, until his brother got it. And uh, he continues to choose happiness and love with his, with his nephew um, rather than, I mean, he could easily go back and have some, some kind of place in his old, in his old palace, in his old society. um, But he chooses not to. Well, even think about the reasons that he left Ba Sing Se, right? It's mm. because his son died. And he just, and I, and, I, and I think there's a degree to which everyone was tired. Everyone was, um, 
was unhappy <laughs> there and and he was just like Let, let's just be done with this right that there's a kind of wisdom of like why do we continue this i mean they were there for 600 days who knows if they were there for another 300 if he doesn't topple bossing say win the earth throne become fire lord and lord of the whole world but yeah Maybe power's overrated. I mean, maybe that's one of the things that he learns is that with power comes this kind of loss too, mm. potentially. So, yeah. And when he uh, he offers this grace to Aang, um, and it also makes me think about Iroh with more grace too, because there's points where you and I have both expressed this season where we're like, Iroh, why did you do that? Like, that was a misstep or aren't you um, not evaluating correctly the situation around you? But it always is out of his his pursuit of happiness and his pursuit of a loving relationship with his nephew. And, like, that is why he went to the king. Like, it's out of this happiness, this, like, dream that he has for himself of making something beautiful and good and being able to give it to somebody. Um, even in another, like, in another society, another culture different from his own. And... Uh, Maybe I should go back and, and rewatch and like watch some of his missteps with Grace, knowing that it was for those reasons. Well, and it's interesting because the he the happiest we see him in some ways um, is either is with Zuko, but then also when they're approaching the palace and he's like, "This I can't believe this is happening. This is great." And in some ways, what we've learned is that when he gives up power and this quest for power, he actually achieves his objective. He says, I always yeah. thought I would come here as a conqueror, but I mean, his objective in some ways was to get to the palace and he got to the palace, but it's like, Oh, isn't it interesting? I didn't come here as a conqueror. I didn't, my quest for power didn't lead me here, but my quest for happiness led me to my objective. Yes, if the objective is just to be here. Yes. And if you compare that to, Oh my gosh, we just keep talking about <laughs> Azula's speech to come. But when she brings up divine right and being born into this place of privilege and power and authority, and uh, she looks down on Longfang and like, look, I'm not a fan of Longfang. I don't think anyone watching this series likes Longfang. But the way that she jabs at him is by saying, you climbed your, like you scrambled and climbed your way to this position um, you worked for it, and yet you weren't born with it, so it's not yours. And here you have Iroh, who is somebody who is not unused to being in beautiful, ornate palaces and meeting people of high prestige and power, but this time he did it out of the work of his own, um, and like something that he grew and born out of his own uh, passion and um, interest and like his love for other people like tea is made from love right like good good tea is made out of love and uh, and so like, again it's like Azula as an opposite compared to Iroh and to Aang and to all these other characters that exemplify such good right and and this is pointing us to the uh, the crossroads that Zuko is going to have to to face here so yeah. um, so to get back to this scene uh, <laughs> you know Iroh gives this advice and Aang says, well, what happens if we can't save everyone and beat Azula without the avatar state? What if I'm not powerful enough? And Iroh says, again, great. A great answer is he says, I don't know the answer. Sometimes life is like a dark tunnel. You can't always see the light at the end of the tunnel, but if you just keep moving, you will come to a better place. And at saying that upon saying this, 
Aang earthbends more rock and light streams in from the crystal catacomb. So they've reached, they've reached their destination. So let me cut back to the palace and Safa and Saka and Toph are, that would be their couple name would be Safa. <laughs> uh, Saka and Toph are walking uh, up the stairs and they see general Howe. And they hide so they can spy on him. And they see three Daili swoop in and arrest him. They like fire the like metal um, cuffs on chains uh, and they arrest him. And Sokka realizes that the coup has begun. So they rush to the palace. They rush into the palace to uh, try to warn the Earth King. And from here we get something that doesn't happen a lot in Avatar, but I love whenever it does is we get a montage. We get a montage of four other generals getting captured in metal chains and arrested by the Dai Li. And this reminded me of, um, are you familiar with the uh, 1972 film, The Godfather? Uh, Yes, but I have never seen it. (laughs) Okay. Well, there's a great scene in The Godfather where um, after Michael's father has been attacked by one of the, uh, the other, um, the other mob families. And then his brother is killed. I'm sorry. I'm spoiling uh, part of the Godfather here. There's this great montage where uh, Michael is, is at the baptism of his son. And at the same moment, they're calling in across the city hits on all of these big, like they're making this big power play. They're having their own little mafia coup and there's hits going off across the city of all these, all these other uh, uh, mafia family leaders getting hit are getting killed and it's just like oh this is like this is like the this is like the baptism scene in the godfather when they're when they're when 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 basically michael's making his his power play or it reminded me of something that came later which is in breaking bad in the last season there's a mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of great montages but one of them is the gliding overall montage when um uh walter white has all these hits called in in different prisons all the people who know who he is and within like a minute and a half we see all these people wiped out and it's like oh yeah like this is this is like a, a classic piece of of like american filmmaking is the <laughs> how can we how can we montage the coup and they do it here just like that and i kind of love it all they needed was a better needle drop they needed like a song to play during that <laughs> um so so we see this uh and then uh we see sakatov and momo rush into the throne room uh the earth king is on the throne and we see Bosco, Ty Lee, and May are there as well. And Sokka is relieved to be there in time. And Ty Lee says, what are you in time for, cutie? And she flips over to him and gets into Sokka's face. Now she's dressed as a Kyoshi warrior. And Sokka tells her that he's involved with Suki. And then Toph realizes that they're not the real Kyoshi warriors. And she like earthbends uh, Ty Lee away. Um. So the and the king looks shocked at hearing this, and May says, "I'm sorry to disappoint you." And she starts to fire blades at Toph, but she earth bends up a wall to block them. And then we see Tai Lee trying to attack Sokka and paralyze him, but he keeps dodging. And she comments that it's like they're dancing, like she's like going at him, and he's like moving to avoid it. Um, uh, and then from at at this point, Azula appears behind the Earth King, taking him hostage, and she holds her finger up almost like a gun, but there's like a blue flame at the end. Uh, and she announces that the fight is over. And we see Sokka and Toph uh, give up. Uh, and we see entirely like they kind of even raise their arms like, okay, we're like, don't hurt him. And, and Ty Lee runs up and paralyzes both of them. And we see Momo try to fly away, but the Dai Li capture him with their stone handcuffs. And the prisoners, including Bosco, are all dragged away. 
So now we have Azula in the uh, in the throne room and in walk Long Fang and the Dai Li. So we finally get to the big scene we wanted to talk about. So I'm just going to read the speech here because the speech is pretty amazing. And then we can say anything else we want to say about this. I would argue this might be some of the best uh, monologue dialogue writing in this show. Uh, we need to have a political scientist on at some point to talk about the politics of of coups because we actually have somebody who studies uh, things like terrorism and coups uh, who's a listener to this show. So uh, we should talk. We should talk with him about this coup at some point. So in yes, walks yes, uh, yes. yes in walks <laughs> Long Fang in the Daily and Long Fang says now comes to the part where I double cross you. Uh, Daily arrest the Fire Nation princess, and we see that no one moves. And he repeats his order and says, what's wrong with you? And Azula says, it's because they haven't made up their minds. Think Crossroads of Destiny. It's because they haven't made up their minds. They're waiting to see how this is going to end. I can see your whole history in your eyes. You were born with nothing. So you had to struggle and connive and claw your way to power. But true power, the divine right to rule, is something you're born with. The fact is, they don't know which one of us is going to be sitting on that throne and which one is going to be bowing down. But I know, and you know. And at this point, she takes a seat on the Earth King's throne, and Long Fang eventually bows down, and he says, you've beaten me at my own game. And Azula says, don't flatter yourself. You were never even a player. Thoughts? I think this speech, I could have seen herself or seen Azula practicing in the mirror to say this exact thing to Zuko. Like this feels like something she could say exactly to him. You are, you have struggled to get here. That's in his own words, right? Like I have to struggle for what I earn, but Azula just gets everything handed to her. And she would see that not as some kind of place of privilege, but as something that is a divine, right? Like a theocracy. It is wild, Sam. <laughs> I also loved, I also love the, the comment at the end. Cause it's for one thing, it's just like kind of a, like a really cool thing to say. It's a great line to say, uh, don't flatter yourself. You were never even a player. But it also mirrors what the, the scene she has with Zuko when she says, you know, you're so dramatic. What are you going to challenge me? And then she's just like, no, thanks. Right. Like mm -hmm. she's saying like, no, no, no. This isn't the time for you to make this great speech about how you almost. She's like, you didn't almost have anything. You like like I, I was you were my puppet this whole time and you didn't even know it. And she's, mm -hmm. you know, so, and, and she, again, she's just not bowing to the conventions because regardless of how you feel about her, she has such a, a powerful, I'm trying to not use the word powerful. Uh, she has such a, a robust understanding of power mm. uh, and how it's used, how to use it, how to wield it, what it really means. And she's surrounded by people who, I mean, it's, you know, it's condescending of her to sort of say, like, you guys don't even deserve power. You don't even know what power is. But she's kind of right. She's like, you guys think what you're doing is like politics and power and scheming. And she's like, I've seen real power. You don't even you don't even know what you're trying to do. You would if if you if I gave you the throne right now, you wouldn't know what to do with it. 
But she's mm. like, but I do. I mean, the greatest line is when she says, you know, they're waiting to see how this will end. Who's going to be sitting on the throne? Who's going to bow? They don't know, but I know and you know. And it's just like, like honestly, that's Oscar reel kind of stuff. It's great yes. writing. The delivery is fantastic. Like this is as good as any great scene from Game of Thrones. This is as good as any great scene from uh, from a, from many many movies, right? This this is a, this is an apex moment for the show. Yes, and she's not wrong about any of it. And I think about even what Iroh has said to Zuko in the past. Like, if we are thinking about this as a speech she could have said to Zuko too um, about the Fire Nation throne, like Iroh has said to Zuko, "You don't have a plan. Like, you think that once you get something in your hands, then you're set." But you don't know what the next step is. But Azula is somebody who does always know that. She always has something planned out beyond uh, just the moment when she gets what she wants. Um, yeah, she's not wrong. The other thing I love is that <clears throat> this scene is preceded by the scene where Iroh says perfection and power are overrated. Mm. Right? So we, we get these two messages just juxtaposed, laid right side by side, right? Like wisdom this maybe higher thing right is telling us that perfection and power are overrated that happiness and love is the thing that matters and then we see the purest expression of power it's awesome yes. it's so good and the right. clearest the clearest lack of love and happiness too like she is a character that does not have those things right right yeah. uh so from here we cut to the crystal catacombs and we have Katara and Zuko. They've had this kind of this breakthrough, maybe thinking about both of their mothers and Katara says, I'm sorry. I yelled at you before. It's just that for so long now, whenever I would imagine the face of the enemy, it was your face. And we see Zuko touches scar and he says, my face. I see Katara says, no, no, it's not what I meant. Zuko says, it's okay. I used to think this scar marked me the mark of the banished prince the curse curse to chase the avatar forever. But lately I've realized I'm free to determine my own, what my own destiny. destiny. <laughs> so we, we have little bells going off there. I'm free to determine my own destiny. Even if I'll never be free of my mark. And Katara says, maybe you could be free of it. I have healing abilities. And Zuko says, it's a scar. It can't be healed. Katara says, this water is from the spirit oasis at the North Pole. It has special properties, so I've been saving it for something important. I don't know if it would work, but... So when we see her like reach up to touch Zuko's scar, thoughts on this scene? I don't know that we've ever seen someone touch his scar except for him. Where he didn't react because uh, we saw Song tries to do it and he like jumps back, right? Right. And, like, and here yeah. we have Katara actually physically touching his face. Yeah. Interesting. And, and speaking of destinies and choices, we're seeing Katara wrestling with a choice here too, right? Again, it's, it's this mafia game of do I trust this person? But she also, she has... Uh, I think what I referred to in, in the first episode of this season as uh, Chekhov's spirit water, right? Like at some <laughs> point we're going to see that come into play. And now she pulls it out for the first time this whole season, uh, you know, 20 episodes later. And she has this choice of like, do I use this 
for Zuko to heal Zuko, mm-hmm. right? And it's clear this is what she's willing to do. This is what her plan is. And just at this moment, as she's about to make this choice, uh, another choice walks in the room, right? Because the wall of the cave blows open and in walk Aang and Iroh. Mm-hmm. And Katara turns from Zuko and runs to Aang and gives him a big hug. And we see Aang look on at Zuko with distrust as Iroh comes up and hugs his nephew and we have a commercial break. So we have this like crucial moment. We walk right up to this moment and then Aang shows up and, and it's, and it sort of breaks the spell of that moment. Yeah. The first time I watched this series, I had really wished that it had been another minute and that she could have healed that for him. But you're absolutely right that this is only a certain amount of water she has and it will become very crucial. So uh, we come back from commercial. Zuko says, uncle, I don't understand. What are you doing with the avatar? And Aang (laughs) jumps in and says, we're saving you. That's what. So we see Zuko start to rush at Aang, but he's held back by Iroh. Iroh says, Zuko, it's time we talked. And then he says to Aang and Katara, go help your other friends. We'll catch up with you. We see Aang bow to Iroh as if he is, you know, a master, right? Uh, And they run off. And Katara, as they run off, Katara pauses to look back at Zuko before leaving. And we have this one last moment. Like, it's like uh, like a fleeting moment where she's contemplating choice, I think. Right? And, and thinking about that moment, processing it, thinking about, well, do I go back and do this thing that we were about to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so then Iroh says, <clears throat> says to Zuko, you're not the man you used to be, Zuko. You are stronger and wiser and freer than you have ever been. And now you have come to the crossroads of your destiny. <laughs> so here here we have like, uh, they're just saying the episode title, right? And so if you were unsure of who's crossroads, who's at the crossroads of destiny, we at least know that Zuko is because Iroh mm-hmm. is telling Zuko and us he is at the crossroads of his destiny. He says, it's time for you to choose it's time for you to choose good. So what's interesting, if we're again, if we're thinking about scene after scene after scene, in the last scene, we saw Azula say to the Dai Li, basically, oh, they're, she's saying that they're weighing their options. So she's sort of like saying, you guys have a choice, but then she's also telling them, and here is your choice. <laughs> and here we have Iroh saying, Zuko, you have a choice. And then he's kind of telling him, this should be your choice. Choose good. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I think that's, I think, it, I think that, that that's very interesting to think about. Like, but also thinking that, you know, Zuko is at this moment of choice. And I'm always fascinated by moments of decision, moments of choice, because we tend to think of them as all or nothing propositions. It's like whatever Zuko chooses right now, that is just his choice from here on out. Um, but that's not how life works, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Derrida said that, um, that the word yes, you know, making this choice, the word yes implies uh, a future of yeses to come, right? When you say yes to something, you're saying yes to it now, but it also implies that you're going to need to continue to say yes to those things. He was talking about this in terms of, you know, making a commitment to something. It's, it's a reading that we, that my wife and I had read at our wedding, 
right? Because it's this thing of like, you know, when you get married, you, you know, you're asked, you know, do you take this person? Right. And you say, I do. Yes. And he said, but the, the power of that yes is that it's a promise of future yeses to come. But that also implies that choice you're, you're constantly having to make that choice to reaffirm that. Yes. Right. So I love this moment of like, this is your time to choose, but it also doesn't mean that you're locked into that choice. Absolutely. We see him make these same choices this whole season, which is what Jasmine was talking about too, right? Like he, we see him become close to song, right? And then uh, he steals her ostrich horse. And like, we see him making these choices where he's really a good person in our minds, right? Because it's black and white. Uh, and then he does something and we're like, oh, wait, no, never mind. He still is the bad Zuko we know from season one. Um, but really, it's all just one collective picture of who he is. Um, and certainly he's not like locked into this idea of, of whether he's going to follow I- Iroh or Azula. So as Iroh is saying this, pleading for Zuko to choose to do the good, just like we had with Katara and Zuko having this moment and then somebody comes in and, and sort of breaks the spell. Uh, This happens again, because upon him saying this, the cave is blown open again, and we see Iroh is trapped in these, like, crystals, and in slides to Dai Li and Azula. And Azula says, I expected this kind of treachery from Uncle, but Zuko, Prince Zuko, you're a lot of things, but you're not a traitor, are you? So even the way she asked that question, she says his name. She doesn't call him Zuzu. She calls him Zuko. And then she corrects herself and says, Prince Zuko, like, like playing on all of his old hopes and dreams, you know, and kind of reviving those things. Yeah. And uh, also reviving his question this season of who are you and who determines who you are? So Zuko demands that Iroh be released. And Azula says, it's not too late for you, Zuko. You can still redeem yourself. And Iroh says, the kind of redemption she offers is not for you. And Azula says, why don't you let him decide? Which is, again, interesting. It's like Iroh is telling him you have this choice to make, but then he's like, but this is the choice. And Azula's like, oh, I am going to weaponize choice right now. It's like a it's like a, a courtroom battle, right? And it's like Iroh has made his case, and now Azula's like, allow me to retort. Now let me make my case. Right? She says, yeah. Remember, why don't you let him decide? She says, I need you, Zuko. I've plotted every move of this day, this glorious day in Fire Nation history. And the only way we win is together. At the end of this day, you will have your honor back. You will have father's love. You will have everything you want. Again, Zula's performance, and I don't just mean her performance in the story, but I mean this episode, this writing, this performance is phenomenal, right? So she's basically saying all of the stuff that people watching this show have seen you stare off into the distance and clench your fists and proclaim about. She's like, it is here on a silver platter for you, mm-hmm. right? So so she she's... Um, offering him this uh and iroh says zuko i'm begging you look at your heart and see what you truly want azula says you are free to choose and she dismisses the daily as zuko ponders the choice we see a profile shots of him from each side with the scar and without the scar 
Okay, at this point... And- I mean, like with the two sides, I, I didn't notice um, until I read your notes that it's it's both sides of his face, and it's also from that dream, right? Like the blue dragon and the red dragon, and that's coming to life in real time, and uh, he has to choose which one he's going to listen to. And I, I was trying to remember back. Um, do you remember how the dream ends? Uh, it ends with him getting like sucked into the floor and and falling. Yeah. Yeah, he, we don't know the choice, right? Like, I think had we been given that in the dream, maybe we would know what would happen. Maybe not for this season finale, but maybe for the next season. What like what happens to Prince Zuko? We don't know who he ends up listening to. And it's interesting to think about uh, to think about this. You know, think about the two dragons, right? Which seems like a also a play on the old uh, like cartoon thing of like the devil on one shoulder and the angel mm. on the other shoulder. And it made me think about the title of this episode, the crossroads of destiny. And we've talked a lot about the word destiny, but we haven't talked a lot about the word crossroads. Does mm. crossroads mean anything to you when you think about the idea of crossroads? Britney Spears album. I, th- well, the, I thought about the Britney Spears movie first too. I don't mean oh. that. <laughs> Right, Britney Spears did have a like 2002 movie named Crossroads, but yes, maybe uh, it was a movie. <laughs> Crossroads doesn't mean anything else to you. I'm just um, curious, like because something I, I have a distinct thought when I think about the Crossroads. No, tell me, tell me. <clears throat> so, uh, in the story of Faust, um, mm. uh, Faust is a story of a guy who makes a deal with the devil, right, mm. to sort of get everything that he wants, and he meets the devil at the crossroads. And this is where he has to make this choice to like sell his soul for something. Another famous example of the crossroads in in the sort of history of American blues music. uh, There's a musician named Robert Johnson um, and the mythology of sort of the father of the blues in some ways. And the mythology of Robert Johnson is that one night he uh, went to the crossroads with his guitar and he met this man who was the devil and Robert and the devil tunes his guitar and Robert Johnson sells his soul to be able to play, you know, play guitar like no one else. Right. And in the movie, your brother, where Mm -hmm. art thou, they have a riff on this, you know, with, with Tommy Johnson in there. So when I heard crossroads of destiny, I was thinking like, Oh, is somebody going to make like a Faustian bargain, a Faustian choice. And you get to this scene and it's like, Oh yeah, that's exactly what's going on. He is literally (laughs) talking to the devil right now. (laughs) <laughs> yes exactly so so we have this great uh, this great moment and we but it, and it cuts away before we know the choice much like the dream so we cut to Aang and Katara and they're running through the catacombs uh, and we see that Azula appears behind them and sort of fires lightning at them which Aang manages to block with an earth wall and then Katara brings up this huge wave of water. Now there is conveniently a stream running through the catacombs here. So there's ample, there's ample amounts of water. So she brings this like hum, huge master level, like wave of water. Uh, uh, and it, it's sort of uh, Azula kind of protects herself with a, with a wall of fire. She blocks it. And we see Katara and Aang battle against Azula and they seem to have her trapped between them. There's this moment where it's like she realizes Azula's very powerful, but she has this water bending master on one side and the avatar on the other, both squared against her. And at this moment, um, out of nowhere, we see fire shoot at them and in walks Zuko. Uh, and he looks at Azula and then at Aang as if he again is making 
this choice. Again, just because you make a choice in the moment doesn't mean you don't get faced with that choice again, right? And now, so he's uh. looking at both of them as if his choice, and he turns to Aang and attacks him. And then at this point, Azula attacks Katara as Zuko and Aang fight. So it's like we have these two separate fights going on at the same time. Mm. Uh, from here, we cut to a Daily prison cell where uh, Sokka is looking out of the thing, looking for guards. And he says the coast is clear. So Toph metal bends the prison door away because they don't know that Toph is a metal bender at this point. <laughs> so Toph and Sokka and the Earth King escape. But the Earth King announces, I'm not leaving without Bosco. <laughs> so now we have to go on a Bosco rescue mission. Um, Which is great. It is great. <laughs> so we go back to the fight and we have um, Aang and Zuko squaring off. And Zuko seems more powerful than he's ever been. We see him do things here that we've never seen him do before. We see Aang evading and avoiding. And we see Zuko using kind of double fire whips. Like think about dual swords, but these long, really, really long, you know, 30, 40 foot long fire whips, uh, maybe even longer than that. Um, and Aang is looking worried, right? Because Zuko is, this is not the Zuko he has faced in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Katara and Azula fighting and Katara kind of water slices at Azula who barely dodges. And we even see the water like slice part of her hair as we get like a matrix style, like slow-mo moment. So we know that uh, Katara's out for blood as well. She's very serious <laughs> in what she's doing here. Um, so Aang attacks Zuko with a huge rock from the ceiling. Now, it's interesting he attacks with rock and not with air, right? Because mm. this this is sort of showing his development of like he's not just evading and avoiding. Now he's actually like, it's a potentially lethal blow that he's sending. Um, yeah. And both of them are knocked back from the force of this. Uh, Katara then surrounds herself with water, almost like she's like making water armor. <laughs> and she has yes, these two... It's like the the octopus, right? Like, yeah. They practiced the like water octopus, and now she's using it in an actual battle. Exactly, but like at a larger scale, because she has these two super long, long like water whip arms, and she manages to use these arms to grab Azula's right arm and her left leg, like so they're they're like in the water, and so Azula. Um, from what I know about firebending, it seems like it seems like your root to the ground matters, and mm. so it's like she's taken her off her root. Um, and but we see Zuko step in, and he cuts through the water arms and and, and to sort of free Azula. Yeah, I okay. I also love that Azula cannot be bested. Like anyone who ever gets away from Azula, Azula is either running away. Or it's when there are a large group of people that <laughs> are confronting her at once and she knows she's beaten, right? But, like, I love that Katara had her. Like, Katara actually beat her one-on-one. Um, and the only reason uh, that that she couldn't beat her fully was because Zuko's double-crossing. And it's like, Zuko's choice for destiny is what made it so that Katara couldn't beat Azula. But I love, I don't know. I love that it wasn't Aang that could do that. It was Katara. And it's especially painful because of the, the what we've had previously between uh, Katara and Zuko to see him now like free his sister and put Katara in peril again. You mm-hmm. know, after she, after she's already sort of kind of done what seemed impossible and 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 defeating Azula. Um, so we see Aang then as this is going on, he kind of stumbles out of the pile of debris. And Azula rushes to confront him while Zuko and Katara fight. So it's like they switch dance partners and now now they're fighting the other one. Um, And 
they're both sort of using these massive fire whips and water whips to fight each other. And Katara says, I thought you had changed. And Zuko says, I have changed. Mm. Um, so he's made his choice. He's, he's definitely leveled up in terms of power somehow in the last few minutes, it seems like even. I mean, yeah. Like when you choose power and control over love and happiness, maybe that's what happens, right? Like setting aside the love of, I, Iroh even, and then yeah. and then being able to to get to this part of him where it doesn't he doesn't have any connections, right? Like he just wants what he wants. Yeah. So we see Aang and Azula face off, and Azula uses her fire pending fire bending, kind of like jet propulsion to fly at Aang. I don't. She's like firing behind her to to push her forward, and then we see Aang bend the crystals around him to create kind of like crystal armor. He kind of looks like a crystal version of Mega Man or something. Like it's. It's a it's a it's a cool look for Aang. Um, yeah. And they fly at each other, and when they meet, Aang's armor is sort of broken, and he flies back against the rock wall, kind of like Azula has defeated him at this point. He seems kind of knocked out. Mm. So then we go back to the throne room, and we see May and Ty Lee are with Bosco, and Ty Lee is trying to teach Bosco how to do circus tricks. How to like walk on his hands or front paws, and out of nowhere, we see her arms. Uh, and legs are earth earth bent to the ground, like the ground comes up and grabs them. And we see Bosco start to applaud. It's like, oh, that's a great trick what you just did. And, and in walk Toph, Sokka, and the Earth King. Uh, Toph raises a rock to attack May, and she just kind of waves them off and says, just take the bear. And then we see the king <laughs> run and embrace Bosco. Again, I love May's energy. She is kind of... It's like she wanted to get out of Omashu, and she's along for the ride, but she's like, I'm not I'm not going to break a sweat for this. Like I'm here protecting this bear. This is stupid. Go, which leads me to think, which leads me to go back to Bosco has an important role to play. Cause it means that the rescue of Bosco needed to matter. So yes. Bosco, Bosco may someday save the world. And it's going to be because of this moment that it's like, it was so important that they save Bosco. This was Bosco's crossroads of destiny. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> so we go back to the catacombs and we see Zuko and Katara continue to fight. And Azula, who just knocked out Aang, jumps in to attack Katara as well. Um, she, We see that Katara is knocked back and now we have Zuko and Azula and they hear this loud rumble as a revived Aang flies at them. And he rides on like this ball of earth, almost like the, the air ball that he normally is on, but it's like earth. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and he rides there to attack them. And at the last minute, a Dai Li agent flies in and earth bends Aang off the rock ball. And suddenly we have hundreds of Dai Li stream into the room. So we see Katara is surrounded by Dai Li and she's prepared to fight. And Aang is facing a phalanx of Dai Li as well as Azula and Zuko. And he looks over at Katara and is concerned. It's like, he's, he, it's almost like he's imagining like, okay, I can hand, maybe I can handle myself here but we can't protect each other. And maybe I can't even handle myself. Like he's just like, we are at this crisis moment. And he's thinking about this person that he's love that he loves who's in danger. Right. And this was the whole point of him coming was to sort of uh, protect her from danger. Um, so at this point we start to hear voices in Ang's mind. So he's speaking to himself. He says, there's too many. And he hears the voice of the guru say the only way is to let her go. 
So we hear Aang say, I'm sorry, Katara. And it's like he walks back and he earth bends a cocoon of crystals around himself. And he goes into his like meditative pose, kind of lotus position. And um, he finds himself back on what you described as like the stardust trail up in the cosmos as he's approaching the massive avatar state image of himself from the last episode. And we see his tattoos start to glow. The crystal cocoon starts to glow. Then all of the Dai Li kind of take a step back as they're looking on. And we see Aang open his eyes and they glow as well. And he's in the avatar state. Um, and a huge pillar of light blows up from the crystal cocoon. And we see Aang's body start to rise up from the pillar of light. And Katara, Katara realizes that Aang has mastered the avatar state. So he goes into the state and he opens the last chakra. He gives up Katara. And this is that, that apology. Mm-hmm. And just then we hear or see kind of lightning thunder. And we see that Azula has fired at Aang's body. Now we know that his body is vulnerable when he's in the avatar state. Uh, so she fires at Aang's body and, and Aang drops from the stardust trail and falls down towards the ground. And Katara summons the water all around her, and the wave she creates takes out the Dai Li, and she emerges from the water holding Aang's body. Um, can I pause you? Yeah. Uh, when, when we see her holding his body, it is almost a perfect rendition of the Pieta. And you have Aang who, I mean, even like, so it's this image used in in art of um, the Virgin Mary holding a dead Jesus, right? And um, as he's been taken off the cross, or off the crucifix, he's put into her arms. And even the way that she's depicted in a lot of that artwork is like larger than him and like looming over him and like muscular and strong and holding this more frail body. And so like 12 year old Aang in Katara's body, like in Katara's arms even looks like that. And so like this, the dust settles, everything moves from the screen and you have this Pieta. And so I was looking at, um, I tried to, dig a little bit um, on Wikipedia <laughs> and Avatar Wiki. And it turns out um, that a lot of people believe, it seems like it's the consensus, that at this moment, Aang actually dies. It that seems by, like it, potentially. Yeah, I had never, I mean, I've watched this before. I didn't think that it was a death. But it makes sense for the use of such a, like an iconic image for him to have died. And, um, and so it's almost like this story of the Christ and like this resurrection of the Christ, the avatar. Um, and I think even, correct me if I'm wrong, this might be some convoluted, um, like Bible (laughs) history. I don't know if it's true, but when Christ died on the cross, was there not thunder and lightning and a storm Mm -hmm. that erupted? Yeah. Yeah. It feels oh. right to have thunder and lightning be the cause of the death of this avatar. Um, and he's sitting in the body of his, of the one who brought him back into the world, right? Like uh, she is very much the Mary who brought Aang out of the iceberg, brought him into his destiny as the, the savior of the world. Um, and then to be the one that holds his dead body uh, and ushers in her, his resurrection is really like, I mean, you could take this so, <laughs> so deep, um, and talk about it even more than that, but, um, super interesting visuals. 
Annie, hats off. That was brilliant. <laughs> no, really, Thanks. like, 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 even when you started, when you mentioned the pieta, I'm like, oh, how did I miss that? I'm, I'm, I'm like good at at finding pietas, and you found that, and then, but like, like I hadn't thought of Katara as like, in essence, like giving birth to Aang, this like rebirth mm-hmm. to Aang out of the iceberg, and this whole story, she has been sort of uh, a mother to him in that kind of way, uh, and yeah, I definitely had the the death and rebirth thought because mm. we know if he's that vulnerable and he gets hit by lightning fired from Qatar or from um, Azula, like it's going to do some real damage. And, and everybody seems really grave uh, after this, uh, mm. you know, as we'll see going forward. I mean, it's almost like even in depictions of the passion, it's like you have the moment of the death and it's like time stands still for a second and and they made that happen. And like I'm not somebody who tries to find like a Jesus arc in every single like monumental piece of literature or like movie or series, but you have this moment where Zuko Azula are looking on at the death of this person that they very much caused. Um and uh it's like it's honestly feels very holy if you're watching it from that perspective. Yeah, and then it, and you you know if we want to play this out more, you have uh, Zuko as sort of a Judas figure who betrays mm. betrays him, and that's what creates this situation where he dies. Yeah, I mean we could we could play this out a lot, and probably don't need to, but um, I think that's really I really really love that. So we see her emerging, holding the body of Aang, and Zuko and Azula are standing before her, and then all of a sudden we see this huge flash uh, of fire enter the cave. And Jairo jumps in and puts himself between Katara and Azula and and Zuko. This episode, I realize, is full of people surprisingly entering into a room, right? Like this, this happens, I think, five or six times, like this dramatic thing happens or is about to happen. And then all of a sudden, and there's a flash of light and a loud noise and somebody else comes into the room. So Iroh does this uh, and he's, you know, standing there to protect, uh, to protect Aang and Katara. And he says, you've got to get out of here. I'll hold them off as long as I can. Um, and she, and, and it's, this sort of reminds me of um, in a new hope, right? Obi-Wan sort of sacrifices himself where he's like, you know, I'll take on Vader. You guys get to the ship and get out of here. Right? Like this is um, I, an Iroh version of that. Mm-hmm. So she takes Aang uh, to the stream and uses the water as there's like a waterfall there. And she kind of like Superman flies up with the water underneath her in this pillar of water. Um, <clears throat> while Iroh keeps firebending at uh, Zuko and Azula um, to sort of give her cover. And once Katara and Aang are gone, something really strange happens. And I, I, I watched this a couple times and I couldn't figure it out, which is Iroh all of the sudden is like encased in crystal by the Dai Li, but you don't see them do it. All of a sudden it's like, and all, and he's like encased in crystal. Like he's a, he's captured. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, does he allow himself to be captured at this point? I don't quite like, it's like he gives up fighting the second she's gone and is captured by them. And he's sort of encased in these crystals, not unlike like a Han Solo encased in carbonite, maybe right. That, 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 if we're thinking about this as empire, right. Empire ends with one of our heroes captured um, and, and held in prison, you know, and literally captured in this um, mineral substance. Right. So we have, mm-hmm. we have this happen to, uh, to Iroh. 
Yeah, or like um, Kylo Ren and uh, Han Solo. Am I? Is this the right? Am I right? <laughs> when uh, he crosses the bridge and like he is, it's almost like giving himself up to mm-hmm. the choice of a family member, uh, and then and then what happens next is uh, very similar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Iroh, we presume is taken prisoner. We cut to Appa flying through the night sky and on him are the earth King, Sokka, Toph, Momo, Katara, and Aang's body. And I think Bosco's there too. I don't remember seeing Bosco, but I assume he's there because it would be weird to save him and not take him with. Uh, and we see Katara using the spirit water, which she didn't use previously on Aang. And we see that the, the lightning, we see the lightning strike on his back. She cries and we see Aang's arrow tattoo light up and flash for a moment. And he wake he wakes up uh, and he smiles at Katara and she looks down at him. And it's almost the same shot of him looking or of her looking down on him when he first emerged from the iceberg. It's like a replay of that shot, which I think goes to what you were saying about like thinking uh, consciously thinking back to that sort of rebirth moment for, for Aang and, and, you know, and they, they embrace. Um, so again, if we're thinking about empire, one of the things that happens at empire is Luke doesn't die, but he is defeated and he gets his arm cut off. Right. And then the last we see of them is Luke healed, right. That they, he gets this robotic arm and they're sort of, they're, 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 they're all, everybody who's not captured is kind of all standing there together on the millennium Falcon. Here we're on the Millennium Appa. We have Aang revived, healed, right? Um, but it's this, uh, you know, it's it's not a, it, it's a dark moment because the uh, it seems like the bad guys have won or the Empire has struck back, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. So the next scene we go to, we're in the throne room and we see Azula sitting on the throne and Zuko is standing next to her at her left hand. Azula says, we've done it, Zuko. It's taken a hundred years, but the Fire Nation has conquered Ba Sing Se. And Zuko, and what's interesting is Zuko's voice is still the voice of Metamorphosis Zuko. It's still like the like softer, calmer version of Zuko. And he says, I betrayed Uncle. And Azula says, No, he betrayed you, Zuko. When you return home, father will welcome you as a war hero. And Zuko says, but I don't have the avatar. What if father doesn't restore my honor? And Azula says, he doesn't need to Zuko today. You restored your own honor. And there's a hold on Zuko's face as he contemplates all of this, which led me to a question. And this is where we're getting close to predictions here or what's going to happen. When, when Zuko says, what if he doesn't restore my honor? Um, Azula says he doesn't need to Zuko. Today, you restored your own honor. This made me wonder, is season three about Zuko and Azula making a power play against Ozai? Because <laughs> it feels like Azula's not going to be happy on the throne of the Earth Kingdom, right? She, this whole time, we know she aspires to be the Fire Lord herself, right? Like, is she, is this like um, Vader trying to get Luke on his side so they can take, they can overthrow the Emperor? Like, it's like... Mm. I mean, that would be what happens in Return of the Jedi, right? Like, that's that's part of this. So I'm wondering here, is her trying to get Zuko on her side and attempt to say, you know, because so when she says he doesn't need to restore your honor is she doesn't say it, but I feel like she's saying because I will restore your honor because yeah. she again, she knows what real power is. And maybe she feels like 
she if she can make a coup lead a coup to to take over the fire or the the earth kingdom why can't she lead yet another coup to take over maybe not even the first coup she's been part of to take over the uh the fire nation as well so i'm just planting that seed there that um if that's what happens in season three like it sure feels like they're not totally telegraphing it but the the track is being laid if that's a direction they want to go and then we get uh back to appa and the gang for our final scene and we see the earth king riding on appa as they're flying over the walls of bossing say to leave bossing say i presume we see the earth king say the earth kingdom has fallen right so we end this story on this pretty dark note azula's on the throne she has um, basically uh, manipulated Zuko over to her side. Zuko has made his choice. Uh, we see the Earth Kingdom has fallen. Ba Sing Se has fallen. We see Iroh is imprisoned, right? So this leads us to wonder, where do we go from here? So themes, observations, thoughts on this episode. You know, after reading that people, after reading that perhaps Aang had actually died, and then the water resurrected him. There's a lot of questions like, you know, what if she did use the water on Zuko and didn't have that water to resurrect Aang? Or another question is, do Zuko and Azula think Aang is dead? And if so, like, you're right. That whole battle was one where the stakes were high enough that you are trying to kill each other. Like, and, and the repercussions of killing the Avatar... Is that something that Azula would have planned for? Like, did she want that to kill the Avatar? Because it seems like so far, everyone in this series is trying to capture the Avatar, use him in some way, uh, but to then aim to kill him, like, would that have caused the cycle to continue, right? And then it's the water tribe that would have had, like, a, a Aang reborn into a water tribe baby. Like, there's so much to think about. Well, and, that and, and here's the thing is I assume Azula does not understand the avatar state because mm. we know that if Aang actually died there in the avatar state, then the cycle, the avatar cycle is broken. So that's the opportunity to end the idea of the avatar. She doesn't know that though. At least yes. I assume she doesn't know that because Aang didn't know Aang had to go to, the spirit world and have Roku tell him that. So I'm presuming that that is not common knowledge. So if they think that Aang was killed, presumably they would have to assume a new avatar is born. Now, the other thing I don't know is how rapidly does that happen? Mm. Is it like instantly a new avatar is, is born? Is it the next child or is it eventually like, what is the window of opportunity there for, for avatar mm. reincarnation now we know it wouldn't have happened because he was in the avatar state but they don't know that right another thing the day of black sun is that what Sokka mm -hmm. named it okay mm -hmm. what happens with that now right because like that had been the plan going forward to, and especially to use the earth king and bossing say that the army of bossing say to bring it to um Ozai on that day. Like now without bossing say, what's their plan? <laughs> like <laughs> like how do they do that now? Well, it depends how much of the Earth army is not in Bossing Say. 
Because we yes. know that like General Fong is not in Ba Sing Se. He has he has an army. He was ready to sail on you know with Avatar State Aang. He was ready to sail on the Earth Kingdom that day. You know he was ready to go or on the Fire Nation. Sorry, where he was ready to go. So I that's the part I don't know is like how much of their forces are located. Now it seemed like the king seemed like a lot of them are in Ba Sing Se because the king seemed to say. Uh, that it would put Bossing say in jeopardy if they were to attack. So uh, you know, I, I assume that's the case. But yeah, I don't know what. I mean, what is the next plan? Where are they flying to? Yes, yes. I mean, do they have somewhere to go? <laughs> they're they're leaving I mean, Bossing say, but where? Right, and the Earth King said he didn't say Bossing say fell. He said the Earth Kingdom fell. So like, is there any place in the Earth Kingdom that's safe now? Like, I mean, they have presumably. They know that- presumably there would be because like that's not how um allegiance works usually it's not like oh there i mean uh, maybe there I mean, this is actually a great chris moore question in terms of thinking about how to, what are the next steps for a coup as well like okay so what is azula's next steps just because she sits on the throne does that mean she has access to the earth army well yeah. probably not that's not yeah. how, how things tend to work but yeah i don't know that's a great question Right. Or, I mean, it's just traveling to and from uh, Earth Kingdom villages was already high stakes before. Mm-hmm. But now when it's when things are shifting, even if news travels fat or slow, even if things are, are a little bit different than like the world we live in, it would be maybe a little more dangerous to try to trust mm-hmm. somebody, um, especially from the Earth Kingdom. And like Hakoda is nearby. like <laughs> The water tribe is around. But I don't know how, like, they're in the middle of a battle or something, right? Like, they were going to co-confront some right. Fire Nation ships, right? Yep. Yeah, and and I also wonder, what is the significance that they have the Earth King with them? Does he, does the, does the like, exiled king of Ba Sing Se have any kind of power to even motivate people, to bring people together of, like, this is our king and we need to, you know, we need to come together to re- um, reconquer bossing say I don't know like 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 he is he is definitely with them so I'm assuming he is to one degree or another a character or figure in the in the next season uh, another question is I'm thinking about Iroh like where we don't see exactly where he goes presumably he's in prison somewhere um, that's got to eat away at Zuko um, he seemed to hint at that uh, if we're thinking about this as their Empire Strikes Back, do you know what the first set pieces in Return of the Jedi are? No. They are multiple attempts to rescue Han Solo. So, like, are we going to see uh, this attempt by the Aang gang to say, well, we have to, we have to try to rescue Iroh? Oh, Be- yes. I, because I, another question which my daughter brought up is season three is, or season three is fire, right? Aang needs a firebending teacher. Now we've met Zhang Zhang. I don't know that that's a great match, but wouldn't Iroh be the perfect firebending teacher for Aang? He uh, Aang already bowed to him as if he was his master. Right. So I I wonder if there something is going to happen to the extent where they need to rescue Iroh so that he can teach Aang firebending, so that he can realize the full extent of of being the Avatar. Uh, I don't know how the attack on the Fire Nation is going to happen. I presume the Dragon of the West is going to be on the side of the Aang gang, I think. <laughs> um, if, so, so like, I'm excited to see. Uh, 
not even if they rescue Iroh, but when. Like, do mm. is this going to be right away? Now, one of the things between Empire and Return of the Jedi is just like we had with season one and two, we had a little bit of a time jump. Are we going to get a little bit of a time jump here? It can't be that long because we have to. We only have the rest of the summer. But are we going to see a, any kind of leveling up? Because Luke Skywalker levels up between the end of. Uh, the end of Jedi, or excuse me, the end of Empire and the beginning of Jedi. He is like a fully formed Jedi master at that point. So I'm curious what uh, Ang's next move are, how he's going to learn uh, to firebend. Yeah, and also on the on the question of Iroh, like Iroh has the Ang gang who's kind of soft to him, like definitely Toph and Ang are. Um, he has Zuko who seems to express some concern about betraying his uncle. But there's also the White Lotus. And what are they doing? And could they help him? Like, <laughs> I don't like we still don't even really know what that was. Like they they helped Zuko and Iroh get into Bossing Say. And it seems like this kind of like international community of like minded people, like some brotherhood that like transcends what nation or kingdom you're from. But like would there be power there to help Iroh? I don't know. It's funny that you mentioned that because I have three questions, uh, sort of loose end questions for going into next season. And one of them was, what is the White Lotus? Right. Like, I have not forgotten about you, White Lotus. I know it's there. <laughs> you got to tell me more. So that's, I, that's clearly going to be a big thing in season three. Um, another question, where is Suki? Like, mm. you know, we, I'm, I'm worried about her. I can't imagine... If she died, I can't imagine that that's the version of her death we were going to get. Like she dies off screen and we move on. Um, so I don't think she's, I don't think she died, but like, I feel like there's going to be a reconnecting at some point. I mean, maybe what season three is for the Ang gang is what we talked about in season one, which is they spent season one traversing the earth kingdom, creating allies. And maybe what they do is say, okay, well, what is the response to the coup is a revolution. And for this revolution, we actually have been to all of these places. We have allies. What if we bring all, what if we get, get some callbacks here? What if we get some, mm. some, some freedom fighters? What if we get them connected? What if we get um, Haru and his father? What if we get Teo and his father? What if we oh. get the people from the fortune teller village? Like, what if we get like, like, what if we start to piece all that together? Yes. So, so I'm wondering if that's going to be their arc. I'm wondering, are we going to see June again? Like how many characters from season one are coming back is, is one of the things mm. I wonder. And then my other big question is what is Zuko's arc from here? Mm. Like I, I'm wondering how much season two was so much about Zuko. <clears throat> I'm wondering how much season three is also about Zuko. Like, like mm. how, how quickly is he, is he going to traverse his arc where in which direction does his arc bend? Is there going to be a play for the throne? Lots of lots of big questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This makes me so excited for season three. Yeah, Annie, this has been amazing. I think we should we we this is by far the longest we've ever talked. We're gonna we're <laughs> gonna top out at two hours plus here, so we should we should stop. But this episode is worth it. Like this episode of Avatar deserves this level of conversation. Um. And I'm really excited for season three. Now, one thing we should say to our listeners is um, this episode, I think, is coming out on April 24th. Um, And our plan is to have maybe a slight hiatus, a few weeks off. You just got out of quarantine uh, in Seoul 
we're both teaching. The end of the semester is a very busy time. Um, we want to make season three sort of our summer programming on the um, on the the podcast. So our hope is that uh, late May, late May, early June, we'll come back and um, and actually start dropping episodes on season three. That gives us some time to get out ahead a little bit because I know. Um, you know, there may be weeks where we're traveling in the summer where we can't record episodes. So we don't want to, once we get started, we don't want to leave gaps uh, if we don't have to. We, I won't say that that won't happen, but we'll try our best to not have that happen. So we'll be back uh, probably in a month or so to kick off season three of, uh, of Avatar with Academics. Um, any, any last thoughts as we, as we close the book on season two? I just want to watch it all right now, Sam. I just, that's, it's patience. It's the patience that's killing me. That's right. Well, uh, that's all the time we have for today. You can go to avatarwithacademics.wordpress.com to uh, find all of our old episodes uh, on that website. You can, or you can subscribe to the Channel 3900 Podcast Network. Lots and lots of great stuff uh, on that network. So um, you should be listening to listening to everything on there. Um, lots of interesting things. Uh, and we will be back sometime soon with book three fire chapter one the awakening 